Thanks. I want to invite our children to Children's Church. Uh, if you want to meet your teacher in the back there. Um, just an age-appropriate setting for the children to hear the scriptures in. And um, while they're going, well, let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Lord, you are wonderful, mighty, and awesome, and we're grateful that you have called us into your presence to gather together to worship you. Lord, I pray that our, our time together this morning and in the baptism that follows would be glorifying to you, that you would delight in seeing your saints follow after you. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd just be with us through all of these things. Uh, Lord, I pray for uh, Isabella and Micah as they're baptized today. We pray that this would be the beginning of a wonderful life filled with discipleship, walking with Jesus and following ever closer. Um, I just thank you for their, uh, their desire to be baptized. And, and Lord, I pray for the saints as we gather to celebrate that, that it would remind us of the salvation that we have in you, Lord, as we see uh, the, the gospel enacted in, in a baptism. Um, Lord, I pray that it would strengthen all of our faith, that we would remember and trust in you. And so, Lord, now as we turn to your word, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and minds, open us to what you have to say this morning. Teach us from your word. Um, and Lord, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So um, I ask Dan to back up and do verse 31, because that really is that summary statement that wraps up the, the end of what we, we had seen there. That was the story about Saul's conversion his conversion and his transition, and then there's that summary statement that just kind of wraps it up together. Um, and it sets kind of the stage for what comes next. Now, as I was studying this, this, this section is kind of almost, not dismissed, but downplayed by a lot of commentators. They say, this is just a transition. This is just a way to get Peter from Jerusalem up to Joppa so that the important events in 9 and 10 can happen. And I'm always dissatisfied with that because I'm thinking, why didn't he just put it in one sentence? He could have said, and uh, Peter was uh, walking in and out in, uh, in that area, and he wound up in Joppa, and bam, now we're on to 10. So I'm never satisfied with that answer. It's true. It does transition Peter up to Joppa, where he needs to be for the next story, but that can't be the, the whole extent of it. It was just a, a tool to get us there. Um, when God inspires the scriptures, he has something to say in it. So as we look at this this morning, um, it, I think what we're going to find is it's kind of a surprising why Luke wrote it the way he wrote it. He, he is accomplishing something in this. He's doing something. He's not just throwing words out on a page. He's, he's doing something important here. And so what we're going to do is we'll look at uh, Aeneas, then we'll look at Tabitha, and then at the end I'm going to bring those together, kind of compare and contrast those two, and that's where we'll draw out what is God doing in this? What is he up to? Why did, why did God have light, Luke write this this way? And what do we need to hear from it? So that's where we're going to go. Um, I hope that's okay. If not, then somebody else can preach. <laughs> so you better be ready. Um, so anyway, so here's, here's what's going on. Peter went here and there among them all. Doesn't that sound liberating? That sounds like he's just trouncing wherever he wanted. Um, if you remember, what had happened before was Saul started ravaging the church in, in uh, Jerusalem, and everybody fled except for the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. And so that's where we last kind of left them. Now, Peter came up to Samaria under Philip's ministry there, um, but now he's free to come and go. God has resolved this problem by converting Saul to the faith. And now Saul is, is taken off. He's gone up to Tarsus. And so Peter is free to go here and there amongst them. He's traveling amongst the churches. They're not churches yet. They're still probably just little small groups of people. They, the, the theology is still developing the understanding of who they are, but 
the disciples is who he's traveling amongst. And uh, so can you put up the slot, the, the uh, map real quick? So I just want to remind us of where everything is at here. So down here is Jerusalem. He's up here in Lydda in this area, which is, um, the, I looked at different maps, and it's various distances back and forth between uh, Jerusalem and Joppa. Some were closer, some were farther away. I just went, forget it. This is close enough. Gets the idea. It's along the way there. So he's gone up to Lydda, and then he's going to be in Joppa. Um, and so this is the traveling that he's doing. So right now we're in this little city, um, this, the city of Joppa. He, he goes there, and he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden, um, and he was paralyzed. Bedridden for eight years, and he was paralyzed. So while he's in, in uh, Lydda, he comes across this man. Now, um, this man's name is Aeneas, and he's been paralyzed. It says that he's bedridden. He's stuck on a mat for eight years. He hasn't been able to move. And all it says is that Peter found him. It's like he was walking down the street, and, oh, hey, here's a paralyzed guy. Uh, he, he stumbles across him. It was almost accidental. And so um, as he goes to uh, this man, Aeneas, it, it's important that we understand who Aeneas is, even though we don't get much detail about him. Aeneas is a very, very Greek name. Uh, Aeneas in uh, Greek mythology was a demigod. He was the, the son of Aphrodite and a mortal. So this is not a Jewish name by any stretch of the imagination. So when you look at Aeneas, what you have to think is this is a Greek. This is not a Jewish person. He's very extraordinarily Greek just based on his name. Um, and he's been bedridden. He's, something happened to him. We don't know what, but he's been on a mat for eight years. Uh, and so when Peter comes to him and finds him, the announcement is just Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. He just looks at him and announces it. Now, do you think that Peter just walked around looking at people and go, he heals you, he heals you, he heals you? Um, or do you think that he had some sort of prompting to say, Peter, heal this guy? Because he may not have healed every single person he saw. Um, I think what happened is, is he received this impression that this was a man that Jesus Christ was healing. Peter didn't heal him. He didn't say, in my name. He didn't say, by my power. He said, Jesus Christ heals you. You do that because you have the authority of your master telling him, that's what I want you to do. So he looks to this man and heals him. And he tells him to rise and make your bed. <laughs> You've been laying on it for eight years. It's a mess. Get up and make it. You know? What he's telling him is, is, is kind of like what Jesus said to the man who was lowered through the ceiling tiles. Take your mat and walk. He's telling him, pick up your bed and go home. You're healed. And immediately he rose. So this is just this really brief kind of short story of, of Aeneas. We don't get a lot of detail in there, do we? But we did get his name. And that's one of the things that I think in this section says that it's more than just a simple transition. Because people are named. And when they're named, there's something going on. There's something to it. So um, Aeneas is a Greek man. And the, the interesting thing is Lydda was a largely Jewish town. There was a headquarters for some of the, the Roman cohort kind of things there, but it was predominantly Jewish. It was mixed, but predominantly Jewish. And this, this Greek is laying there paralyzed, and Jesus heals him. And so that's our friend Aeneas. Let's put him aside for a moment. The next person is Tabitha, and we get a lot more detail about her, don't we? There's a whole bunch unpacked in this story. Um, so it's kind of like Luke slows down to tell us this. So there was... Uh, 
In, in Joppa, oh, I'm sorry, we need to finish that last one. The last sentence is, all the residents of Lydda and uh, Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So uh, Lydda is, is right here, and then Sharon is not a town. It's, it's like this big flat plain that stretches right around here. It goes from Joppa to Caesarea. It just kind of levels out and slides right off into the sea. There's no cliffs or any of that. Just, that's called the plain of Sharon. And so what uh, Luke is telling us is that when the healing took place in Lydda, people all over the place heard about it. It doesn't mean that, and when it says uh, all the residents, it doesn't mean every single individual person. That's called hyperbole. What he is saying is, gosh, it wasn't just one or two. You could say the whole place turned to Jesus. They all heard about this healing, and they all are now saying, well, wait a minute, who is this Jesus guy? We want to know more about this. They're turning to the Lord, and they want to know more. So it's a pretty big area that this has happened in. Um, so the next one, there's a, there's a, um, uh, in Joppa, which is that one up on the coast there, uh, there's a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Um, nobody snicker at the name Dorcas. I practiced for a couple of days to not laugh when I said Dorcas. It's, it's actually a beautiful name. Um, so this disciple named Tabitha, do you know this is the first place that a female is named a disciple, specifically by name? The, the word for disciple is the feminine version of that word. So, and this is the first person. So it feels as though there's something significant that, that Luke is telling us about Tabitha. She's important to this story. She's kind of an important person. So she's a disciple in Joppa. How do we wind up with disciples in Joppa? Well, I think what's going on is, do you remember when Philip was doing his ministry? He was up in Samaria, and then I said, I believe that he returned to Jerusalem, and then an angel came to him and said, head to the road that goes down to Gaza. And so he headed to the road to Gaza, and he met the Ethiopian eunuch, and he, he witnessed to him, and he baptized him, and then it says that he went up to Caesarea. So if he's down by Gaza, Gaza would be down in this area, and he went up to Caesarea, he traveled along this way. So what we may be witnessing here with these disciples in Joppa is more of Philip's ministry. We may be looking at the, the results of his ministry because knowing Philip, listening to what we saw of him, do you think he traveled and didn't say anything about Jesus? That just seems way out of character. I, he looked like one of those guys, if you bump into him, he'd tell you about the, the gospel. And so that's what's happened is he's traveled, my, my theory is he's traveled up to Caesarea, he's stopped in Joppa to witness to people, and Tabitha is now a disciple. She was full of good works and acts of charity. She was a, that's a disciple, right? Good works and acts of charity. She was a generous person. Um, in, the, in the old King James, uh, in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, uh, they use the word charity in, uh, as a translation for agape, which is love. So they would say faith, hope, and charity in the Old English um, because what charity meant was love. Now, in our terms, in our day, when we say charity, we think of giving money to poor people. You, you participate in a charity. You give things away. That's what this word means. This is not agape. She wasn't full of agape. She was full of charity. So the picture that's being painted here of Tabitha is she is a kind, a good, and a generous person, and she's a disciple of Jesus Christ. So that's how Luke introduces us to her. And then he says, in those days, she became ill and died. And when they'd washed her, they laid her in an upper room. But 
wait, she's a disciple and she's full of good works and charity and she got ill and died? How, how can the Lord let that happen? It happens to his saints all the time. Um, it's nothing surprising. Didn't we see that with Stephen? Stephen was a man full of grace and filled with the Holy Spirit and preaching the gospel boldly and he got stoned to death. So again, we're kind of reminded here that the Christian life is no promise of a bed of roses the whole way. The life of the Christian is going to have things like this happen. Illness will befall them. And she died. Now what's odd about this is that she was laid in an upper room. Um, why would they put her in an upper room? So they wash her body and they put her in an upper room. Do you remember what happened with Ananias and Sapphira? They hauled him out and buried him that day. So what's, what's happening here with the disciples washing her body and then taking her upstairs and laying her down? Well, we don't know from the text. It doesn't have a bunch of detail, but there's, there's some theories. One of the theories is that there was a Jewish belief that the soul hung around the body for three days before it took off to be with the Lord or go or wherever it was going to go. Um, that's possible. That may be actually a Jewish myth, but it's not based on any scripture. It's not based on anything we know in the Bible. As a matter of fact, what did Paul say? To be absent from the body is to be hanging around the body for three days. He said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't know if I'm going to die or if I'm going to live. If I die, that's great because I get to go be with Jesus. If I live, then I get to stay with you and, and serve you. So if that's what they're thinking, they're wrong. Um, and it's no big deal. It's okay. Here's another thought, and I think this is a little bit more charitable to the disciples is there is a precedent in the, in the Bible of um, healings, resurrections taking place in upper rooms. This has got biblical precedent. So, for example, in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Um, you remember what happened with Elijah is he announces that there's going to be a famine on the land. And then he takes off and he goes to this Gentile town called Zarephath. And when he's coming to the town, he sees a woman picking up sticks. And he says, hey, go make me some dinner. And she said, we just have a little bit of food left. We're going to gather some sticks, make some bread, and then die. Because we just don't have anything left. And so he blesses her, and he provides for her. And, and her oil doesn't run out, and her, her uh, flour doesn't exhaust. And she's got a little son. And as Elijah goes away, when he comes back, he finds out the son died. And so the son is now in this upper room, and Elijah goes and stretches himself out on top of the boy and prays for him, and he comes back to life. So that's 1 Kings 17. 2 Kings 4, a similar thing happens with Elisha. Elisha meets this Shunammite woman. She's very rich. And one day her son, she builds him a little room on top of her house. Whenever he comes by, he's got his own guest room up there. And that's where he's going to stay. Well, one day her son comes out to her father and says, my head, my head. And then he falls over dead. He may have had a brain tumor or an aneurysm or something. And so they take him and put him up in Elisha's room, and, or Elisha's room, and so Elisha comes by and does the same thing. He raises him from the dead. So it might be that the disciples are thinking about this. They've heard what happened to Aeneas. They know Peter's in the area, and they say, maybe God will do it here. And, and that would explain why they go to him and they say, come and don't delay. Rush to come here. Uh, because we have somebody who's dead, and, and we would love for her to come back to life. So I think that's more, maybe a little bit more charitable reading, rather than they believed a myth about three days, is maybe they're hoping for and anticipating a resurrection. God has demonstrated that he's working miraculously in Peter. Maybe he'll do that here for us. 
That, by the way, is called faith. It is faith to say, Lord, you can do these things, and we are asking you to come here and do that now. Big, bold things. Um, that, that's demonstrating faith. And if these are the disciples that we think they are, that have put up with persecution and opposition, then that wouldn't be out of character now, would it? So they go and they get Peter. They bring him back to Joppa. Um, now, Joppa was a predominantly Hellenistic town. It was mostly Greeks, but Tabitha, who is named Dorcas, Tabitha means gazelle in Aramaic. And so they give her her, her Aramaic name, or her Jewish name is Tabitha, and they say, oh, by the way, in Greek, that's translated into Dorcas. That would make sense, because if she's a Jew living in a Hellenistic town, she would probably go by both names. Both names, by the way, mean gazelle. And when we say gazelle, what you need to think of, if you're thinking from a Jewish perspective, is the Song of Songs. Um, often the gazelle is used as an imagery of this beautiful, elegant, wonderful, desirable person. So her name is beautiful and her spirit is beautiful. She's just a giving, loving kind of person. Um, so they're in this now Hellenistic town. They get Peter and they bring him in and the widows come and they show him, look at all the things that she's done. They're weeping and they're showing them tunics and, and other garments that Dorcas had made for them. Now, the way that's termed, there's what's called a middle voice in that, middle voice verb. And what middle voice means is it's usually reflective, coming back on the person. So it might be what Luke is trying to tell us is the widows are standing there and going, look at what she made, and they're holding out their garments. Look what she made for us. And don't forget who the widows are. You remember from, from uh, chapter 6? They are the most marginalized, most endangered people in a society. They have no means of income. They have no means of support. If their children don't take them in, they're in trouble. So in Acts chapter 6, the church is providing for the widows, feeding them. So now when we, look, we get here, this is, the, this is going to be the second and third time the word widows is used in Acts. These are the only times. And every time it's used, they're in need. So this Dorcas, this, this Tabitha, has made these beautiful gowns and given them to the widows. And the widows are saying, look, you have to do something for her. Look at what she's done for us. Look what kind of a person she is. And so what Peter does is he puts them all outside. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's great. Now leave. That's, I'm sure that's not how it happened. I'm sure he was much more gracious about it. But when it came time to get down to business, he asks everybody to leave the room. And he kneels down and he prays. Now with Aeneas, he looked at Aeneas and said, Jesus Christ heals you. With Tabitha, he just kneels and prays, and he's asking, Lord, will you, is this something you want to do? Do you see that contrast of he was sure that the Lord had told him to heal Aeneas? He's asking the Lord to heal Tabitha. So he just kneels down and prays. And after he prayed, he turned to the body. It doesn't say he turned to the disciple. It doesn't say he turned to Tabitha. It says he turned to the body. A dead body is what he turned to. And the next words he say are, Tabitha, arise. To a deceased corpse, he announces, rise. And she, um, what, what it says next is, he, she opened her eyes, and then when she saw Peter, she sat up. This is one of those things that I think is, is a, a telling mark of the authenticity of the, the writing that Luke is doing. It seems like this is being told from Tabitha's perspective, doesn't it? Can you imagine that she all of a sudden 
opens her eyes, takes her first breath in days, and she just kind of lay in there stunned, like, what's going on? So she opens her eyes, and then she's looking around, and when she sees Peter, she oh, it's Peter, and she sits up. That doesn't sound like it's necessarily from Peter's perspective. It sounds like it's coming from Tabitha's. And if you remember how Luke introduced his writing, which was back in, in uh, Luke chapter 1, he said that, um, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time, to write down an orderly account for you. So Luke's stated purpose is eyewitnesses, ministers of the word, and he's been following it for a long time. So it might be that Luke sat down and interviewed Tabitha for this. Tabitha, what happened? Explain to me. Oh, I had this terrible cold and it just got worse. And, and I just kind of remember falling to sleep. And then the next thing I hear is Tabitha arise. And it just shocked me. And I just laid there for a minute before I could do anything. I didn't know what was going on. And when I looked over, Peter was there. And doesn't that sound like what he's writing down? He's saying, really? That's what happened? That's amazing. So this is one of those things that I think just kind of adds to the authenticity of um, Luke's writing, his writing style. He's being very faithful for what he's doing. So after she looks at him and sits up, he takes her hand and stands her up and walks her out to the widows, walks her out to the disciples, and it says he presents her to them alive. He says, here, look what's happened. This story... The way it's written is very, very similar to um, the Second Kings story, uh, if, in the, the Greek version of it, very similar. It's also extraordinarily similar to Jesus' resurrection of people, isn't it? He's, he did the same thing. He went into an upper room. He chased everybody out. He told the, the person, um, uh, Talitha kumai, which in Aramaic means a uh, little woman or a little girl, stand up, arise. So where do you think Peter got the idea to do this this way? Peter is a disciple. He's following his master. This is how his master resurrected people. This is how he's going to do it. Except his master had the authority to just come in and do it. He's going to kneel down and pray, Master, would you raise this, this poor child? And then look and say, Tabitha, arise. And if he said it in Aramaic, it would have sounded very similar to Talitha Kumai. So that, I think that's kind of an interesting way that you see this is discipleship happening. This is what the disciples do. And it became known all throughout Joppa. So Aeneas' resurrection was known in Lydda and up through the plains of uh, Sharon. This resurrection is known all through Joppa. And what it says then is that many believed in the Lord. So this resurrection has led to many believing in the Lord. And then just kind of wrapping up the, the, uh, the wrap-up of the thing, he, Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with Simon, a tanner. We'll get more of him next week. So that's just kind of the summary of the stories. That's, that's what's happened. Um, why did Luke write such detail? Why does he name two people if it's just transitory material? What does he want us to gain? What does it matter to us about these people? Um, it could be that, that Luke was naming these names because the people he was writing to would know them personally. That may well be. It doesn't help me at all because I don't know them personally. And the scriptures are written not just to that people, they're written to the church throughout all time. So what does this do for us? How do we connect with this? I think there's some important things. So let's first of all compare and contrast these two resurrections because Luke slams them right next to each other. And then we'll, after we compare and contrast them, then we'll go through and ask the question, why? So Aeneas, less detail. 
Very brief, here's what happened. Tabitha, tons of detail. We get a, a nice big narrative on that. Aeneas is male, Tabitha is female. Luke has this habit of pairing male and female. If you remember way back about a bazillion years ago when we did the first chapter of Luke, um, there's two prophets at the temple, Simeon and Anna, and he brings this male and this female together and he presents them to us. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, and now we, uh, we get the good news, and, and then future, in the future we'll, we'll meet, um, um, now i got Ananias in my head, Priscilla and Aquila, thank you. <laughs> Dan saved my cookies there. He's mouthing it to me. <laughs> Priscilla and Aquila. So he has this way of, of grouping uh, male and female together, and, and he does that with this story. Um, as I said, Aeneas is a Greek name. Tabitha is an Aramaic name. Uh, Lida, as I said, is predominantly Jewish. Joppa is predominantly Hellenistic. With Aeneas, there's nothing mentioned about his faith. We don't know what his spiritual condition is. He simply shows up and says, rise, make your bed, and that happens. But with Tabitha, she's a disciple. And not only is she a disciple, she's a beautiful disciple, a generous disciple, a giving disciple. With Aeneas, Peter found him. He's walking along and maybe stumbled over him. Oh, hey, stand up. With uh, Tabitha, they went and they took Peter and drew him to her. Um, Aeneas is paralyzed, which is horrible. Tabitha's dead, which is worse. When um, Peter heals Aeneas. He simply says, Jesus heals you. With Tabitha, he kneels and he prays. These, these differences. All the residents saw Aeneas. All the residents of that area, when they saw Aeneas, they said something miraculous has happened. We know this guy. He's been on a mat for eight years and now he's walking. Something has happened. With Tabitha, it happened privately in an upper room and it became known. So Lydia and Sharon turned to the Lord, and many believed in the Lord. That's kind of the, the, the comparison and the contrast of those things. So why these details? Why this fleshing it out? Uh, why not just surmise it? Well, think about what Luke has been writing so far, and think about what comes next. Luke has been telling this story, and what comes next is the camera has shifted off of Saul. Saul is in Tarsus. What we're going to see in chapters 10 and 11 is a focus very sharply on Peter, and the conversion and the, the uh, baptism and the inclusion in the church, not just the conversion, but the inclusion in the church of our first Gentile. That's a significant event. What's happened so far is it's focused on the, on the apostles, yes, but specifically on Peter in Acts chapter 2. And then Peter and James as they go to the, the temple a number of times. And then it shifts and it focuses really extensively on Stephen and his ministry. He gets a long dialogue before he gets stoned. And then we focus on Philip and what Philip's doing. Then the, ship, the focus shifts again to Paul or Saul. And we see this conversion of Saul. We get this in-depth picture of who Saul is. And now in this little gap, we're about to move the camera back to Peter and have this really super amazing, extraordinarily important event happen. So this interim, I think what Luke is looking at is he's saying, don't miss the little people. I'm going to focus on the big names. Because the big names are important. They did things. The Lord did things through Peter. He will do things through Peter. But what I think Luke is doing, I think what the Lord is leading Luke to do at this point is stop and say, but don't miss the little people. Because there are no little people. Everybody's important. Why is it that uh, Lydia and Sharon turned to the Lord? Because they saw this man. He didn't go hide. 
He didn't stay at home. He didn't continue to lay on the mat. He's out. And can you imagine asking, wait a minute, aren't you the paralyzed guy? What happened to you? What's he going to say? This dude named Peter said, Jesus Christ healed me, and look at what happened. He's going to be out talking about it. So we can look at, at Stephen as this great evangelist as he's preaching in the temple. We can look at Philip doing these wonderful things. We're about to see Peter do wonderful things. And then the rest of Acts is just Paul constantly doing wonderful things. But what he's trying to draw us back to, I think, in this little interlude is don't forget the other people, the people who don't get named a whole bunch. They're just as important to the mission. Um, when, when somebody wins an Oscar, you know, the, the joke is, I want to thank all the little people who made this possible. Isn't that, you know, because I'm the big person and they're all little people. That's not how the kingdom of God works. There are no little people in the kingdom of God, are they? As a matter of fact, what Jesus told us is the last will be first and the first will be last. So while we focus on and we look at Peter, while we look at, at Philip, while we focus on, on Paul as he's going about his ministry, what we need to remember is that doesn't mean they're first in the kingdom. The least will be the first in the kingdom. The people who don't get named, who get named once and never heard of again, those will be the ones that would be first in the kingdom. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. You shall be the servant of all. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 20, 26 through 28. He says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What we're seeing in this little interlude is, is Luke is holding that up to us again in narrative form and saying, don't miss this. And it's, it's, it's really important for us because we can kind of get off track sometimes and think that the people who stand up front, the guy, with, the guy who stands in front of you every Sunday and yammers on, that's the important stuff, that's the big stuff. That's not the big stuff. You all are the big stuff. You are the ones that Jesus has sent gifts to the church to bless. It, it's about us. It's not about me. It's not about who wrote the greatest book, who, who's, who's the, the top evangelist of the day. It's about the people. Jesus is a shepherd. He's not a, uh, a, an owner of shepherds. He has a flock. He has people he cares about. He loves his people. And those are the ones in the kingdom who will be sitting at the table with him. That's, that's what is important for us to see here is Luke stops and names these two people. He shows the results of what God has done in their life, and he reminds them that's how the gospel grows. That's how the church grows. That's how at the end of that last section we could hear there was peace and the church was multiplied. It didn't happen exclusively because of Peter. That's not multiplication. That's addition. It happened because Peter did something for somebody, and those people did something, and those people did something, and those people did something. That's us. That's all of us together. So the important part here is we need to hear this. We need to see that this isn't just the rock stars. Because as you're serving, as you're walking with the Lord, as the people see things that have miraculously happened in your life, and they ask you, what happened to you? And you simply tell them your story. You're doing what the Lord has called you to do. And really, when you think about it, isn't what you're looking for, isn't what you're aiming for, to get to that last day, to stand before the judgment seat of God, to have Jesus look at you and pronounce, well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't that what we want to hear? 
That's what we're being called to do. And so as Luke is telling us about these disciples, just being ordinary people, not being Paul's or Peter's, just being ordinary people, he's telling them, this is the role that you've been called to. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. Enter into your master's glory. Come and be with me. It's not just reserved for Billy Graham, John MacArthur, Tim Keller, D.A. Carson, all those big names. It's not just reserved for those people. As a matter of fact, I think our standing is better because the last will be first. And that's exactly, I'm not, I'm not just grasping at straws here. Listen to what Peter says later on in his life. In the introduction to his second epistle, he says, to those who have t- obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Peter is writing to his flock and he's saying, I'm not in a better position than you are. I was just there earlier, but you have obtained to this equal standing with me. So I think that's this moment, this pause that we get in in this uh, story, in this grand story that, that Luke is telling us, is to remind us, to remind all of us, we're important to the Lord. All of us are important to the Lord. So are you Aeneas or are you Tabitha? Will people see you and see something different about you and go, what happened? Or are you Tabitha where people will talk and say, did you see? Do you know what? That's what a disciple looks like. Wasn't well, that something? And all we're called to do, all they did in this was be faithful, weren't they? They just did what they were told. Peter said, Jesus Christ healed you. Now, could Aeneas at that point say, no, 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 he, he hasn't healed me. It was beyond his control. It wasn't, he didn't ask. He didn't say, would you like Jesus to heal you? He just come and said, it happened. The next thing is the command, now make your bed. That's what a disciple does. The Lord heals them and they follow their Lord. Tabitha, what could she do? All she, all she could do is die. When she's told, arise, she rises. And everybody hears about this woman's good works, about her love and her care. So that's ordinary discipleship. We get a break in the rock stars to come down to earth and we just talk about ordinary disciples. And you know what, you guys? I am so glad that's here. I just It's nice to be included in the story because I don't feel like a rock star. I don't feel like the... The, the Paul of the day or the Peter of the day. I look at these other guys and, you know, going to a, a Gospel Coalition conference and all these rock stars are up there and, you know, just, oh, it's, it's so amazing. It's nice to see the spotlight swing off them for a second and zoom in on somebody normal, somebody like you and I, for us to know, yeah, we're important too. Now, what's going to happen next is we're going to focus on Peter and, and he's going to do some really amazing things and the Lord's going to work mightily through him. But let's not forget as we go through the rest of Acts, there's a story there that includes us. When they talk about 5,000 were added to the Lord, that's folks like you and I. That's not a bunch of rock stars. When it talks about all of um, Lydda and Sharon turn to the Lord, that's folks like you and I. It's not a multiplication of Peters. It's normal folks. We're his sheep. We're the ones that he's come after. And so we're the ones who get to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's what we want to hear. That's what we're looking for. That would be the joy of our lives. And so I'm just grateful that we got a break.
because what comes next is Peter, and then we launch into Paul. And with Paul, it's all Superman. He was just such a, an amazing uh, instrument, is how it was pronounced him when he was baptized. He was an instrument of God in such an amazing way. And so I'm glad we got a rest before we get there so we can say, yeah, we're in there too. We're, we're traveling along with these guys also. Let's pray. Lord, I think it's a real blessing that um, we're included in all of this, but we don't get named. Lord, it helps us to remember that we're humble, that we are who you say we are and not who we want to think we are. Because who you say we are is at the same time much better than that than who we think we are and much worse. Lord, we can get too down on ourselves or too up on ourselves, but your pronouncement in the middle of that keeps us rooted. And so, Lord, thank you for this, this brief, brief look at normal people at us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be Tabithas, that we would be filled with good works and a generous spirit, that would be Aeneas's who just stand up when you tell us to, who go where you tell us to. And Lord, we thank you for the work that you've already done in us. We ask for more. Lord, would you please give us more? Would you do more wonderful things in our midst? Would you bring more healing, more conversion, more amazing stories of generosity and kindness, more service, more humility? Lord, that's what we desire because in the end, we're looking to, see, to catch your eye, to catch that smile on your face as you're glad to see us, as you're happy with us. Lord, lead us in that way. We can't do it on our own. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.